Kornberg. Have a great night, everybody. And until we meet again, go blue and rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Well, uh, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The show is Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And there's an old saying that things happen in threes. So very briefly, uh, related to eh, people our age, the passing of Terry Jones, Jim Lehrer, and Kobe Bryant all in the same week is kind of remarkable uh, because it's the it encompasses television in in so many ways and of course Kobe Bryant was a very famous uh, besides being a basketball player was kind of a global icon uh, and even if he didn't like the Lakers uh, he was a good guy and that, that is really sad that he died uh, Lair and Jones of course led full lives but uh, Monty Python I don't think there's ever been a show on television funnier than Monty Python. Well, the fact that it's still so funny after all these years yeah. uh, suggests, I mean, they're sometimes called the Beatles of comedy yeah. because it's the unique chemistry of the team that elevated what they did. You know, there were precedents to what Monty Python did. Uh, Spike Mulligan and the goons uh, from uh, British radio sort of, you could say, invented this sort of surrealist humor that Python just like the Beatles did for a certain kind of rock and roll, just elevated to a high art form uh, of intrinsic silliness, uh, complex literary and historical references. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's so timeless. Indeed. In yeah. other words, those jokes are going to work uh, 100 years from now, you know. And, of course, 
one of the reasons I don't think they got into the criticism of, you know, you're not politically correct, was they attacked everything and everybody uh, for whatever reason. You know, even, you know, like the Huns and the Vikings and every culture was attacked one at, at one point or another. They even had had the daring dude to uh, do skits about the Nazis. <laughs> that was always considered a little... <laughs> Over the weekend to uh, acknowledge uh, the passing of Terry Jones and to celebrate his great career. We watched a few episodes. And you talk about irreverence. The yeah. pantomime Princess Margaret hunting for breakfast. Yeah. Well, the uh, car chase between the pantomime horses uh, goes on in the background. It's just hysterical. And thank God they Brighton's didn't. Brighton's a toast. Thank God they didn't call it uh, Blue Owl Stretching or whatever that one of the original name of the well, just to Monty get, Python and the Flying Circus. Right. You know. to, to spend a little bit longer on this, uh, because Terry Jones means a lot to you and I and yeah. I know many listeners. Uh, to go beyond Python, uh, he really was a, a true Renaissance man, a filmmaker of sure. note. He directed uh, several of Python's films. Uh, an expert he, on Chaucer. An expert on Chaucer. He wrote uh, several books uh, on Chaucer and his characters. Which I'm uh, sure is where a lot of the... Monty Python and the Holy Grail stuff kind of came from. Oh, yeah, almost. he and uh, Palin were uh, history majors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Terry Jones also wrote the film Labyrinth, which, you know, didn't do that great at the box office, but has since become a sort of rite of passage for young teen girls to watch David Bowie uh, at his pinnacle of mm -hmm. coolness as the Goblin King. Terry Jones wrote that. He wrote books of fairy tales. Uh, he was an accomplished fellow. Underrated, way yeah. underrated, and of course, one of the interesting things about uh, Terry Jones and Michael Palin was that they were the lads that got into Oxford. They were from working-class families, so they got in because of their brains, and uh, they made it pay off, and they were responsible for so much of the uh, political and historical skits in the Monty Python and the Flying Circus, and of course... Um, Terry Gilliam, the American uh, participant, uh, did the uh, has become a great director in his own right, in his own way, and of course the animation stuff and Monty Python is itself hugely influential. Really, really amazing stuff, and you know Jim Lehrer, obviously he's been honored uh, for all kinds of reasons, but a really credible uh, public journalist who. Uh, you know, get the story right, as they say. Anyway, I'm 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 actually gonna sort of wonder in the next couple of days if Donald Trump somehow links the helicopter crash involving Kobe Bryant with the impeachment. You know that it's a conspiracy to get people not to watch the the president's presentation. Uh, I heard some of it today, well, I think, and uh, it's the remarkable. I mean, it's unbelievable. He, of course, was complaining about the White the, House counsel today arguing the White House counsels today. Some of the stuff they basically put Hunter Biden on trial. It became a two hour campaign attack ad. And it is absolutely remarkable during defense of the uh, innocence of Rudy Giuliani, too. <laughs> well, it, it, the thing is, it's got nothing to do with Donald Trump's impeachment. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a. It's unbelievable. I mean, in a court of law, in a, quote, trial, none of these arguments would be permitted. They're completely irrelevant. It's like a guy who's being charged for 
uh, a carjacking in Detroit trying to bring up a guy that lives in Louisville, Kentucky, about what he did last week at a keg party (laughs) after the keg party got out of control. It's just ridiculous. And Hunter Biden, I I mean, even he took he took a bunch of money. So what? What's the corruption connection? I don't get it. Uh, They've never linked it. And I might add, it undermines everything Trump is even trying to argue, if you think about it logically. Over the week, his the third anniversary of his presidency passed. Uh, his presidency's three quarters over. Praise the Lord. Now, if he gets reelected, um, it's only thirty eight percent over. But those are percentages that are quite different. We don't know what's going to happen in the presidential election. Nobody does. I mean, I was going to be a wash in my opinion, probably. Four candidates will come out of there with delegates. Nobody probably will get more than 27%. Um, So, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen in the presidential election. But Donald Trump was president for two years before he showed any interest in Hunter Biden. If If there was all this corruption going on involving Hunter Biden, and Pam Bondi was one of the presenters this afternoon... Why didn't Donald Trump do something about it when he became the president? Indeed, as president, (laughs) if he wanted to get rid of the ambassador, Yovanovitch, he had the authority to do so. He did not need to scream at Lev. Oh, yeah. Get rid of her. The tapes. She's gone. Make her go away. There are proper... Did no one inform him of uh, his powers as president to actually do... Oh, all you do is you name a replacement. And there you have it. Well, and of course That's all he, would, he need have done. He wouldn't replace uh, Yovanovitch uh, in uh, 2017 when he became president because she was an experienced hand. Rex Tillerson wouldn't say, well, why do we want to get rid of her? In fact, Rex Till- Tillerson wouldn't have gone along with any of this nonsense. Um, we're starting to see that Rex Tillerson is, was one of the only cabinet members in the Trump administration that would ever stand up to him. Uh, at the meetings, you know, where he's actually borderline mentally ill. More and more books are coming out. Well, the Phil Rucker book uh, provides yeah. the background context on the uh, scenario within which he muttered the famous, uh, Tillerson, that is, muttered the famous observation about uh, the very stable genius. He's an effing moron. Yes. And uh, I won't go into it here. It's right. a matter of public record now. You can. It's a matter of public record, and uh, this book ironically just hit the the, uh, publishing world in the last couple of weeks because it was scheduled many months ago, so the timing's got nothing to do with the impeachment. That's the way the publishing world works, which, of course, is why John John Bolton's book, in other words, I think they can remake a Bella book and a candle. It can be... uh, a tape, a book, and a scandal. <laughs> um, Lev Parnas, uh, he's a quick learner. Remember when uh, Donald Trump fired uh, James Comey a couple of days later? He's doing all this bragging on television. And he said, he better hope there aren't any tapes. And James Comey said, lordy, lordy, I hope there are. <laughs> Well, so so Donald Trump didn't produce any tapes. 
But uh, Lev Parnas uh, obviously realized this guy throws everybody under the bus. I better do some taping. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it would be only prudent. (laughs) It wouldn't be prudent. Well, it was prudent. Uh, Of course, Donald Trump's trying to deny. I don't know him. Well, obviously, he does. And, I mean, to to give you a flavor of what a cheap shot it is to be going after Hunter Biden in the impeachment of Donald Trump, it would be the equivalent of the House Intelligence Committee investigating Ivanka Trump for her connections with Chinese handbag manufacturers. When she came into the presidency, there were all kinds, uh, when Donald Trump became president, there were all kinds of sweetheart deals involving Ivanka Trump. But Donald Trump cares about corruption. How ironic that he's meeting, uh, met uh, Netanyahu today. How many corruption charges and indictments is he under? (laughs) It's ongoing. And how ironic that there now is going to be a corruption investigation in the Ukraine. They're investigating Rudy Giuliani and Lev Parnas and Donald Trump. Maybe the White House meeting can finally happen, as one letter writer to the New York Times noted. Um, you know, the whole thing just because, and it's not going to end for Donald Trump on, on this whole uh, misconduct thing. Well, there's no way... It's a drip, 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 drip. drip. Exactly. Even if week he is, quote, not removed from office, he's not going to be removed from office. Well, not having been removed from office is not an exoneration. No. And, Though it'll be trumpeted, uh, forgive the pun, as such. And, of course, M- Mitch McConnell's absolutely ridiculous schedule backfired on him on Tuesday, a night that I listened. Uh, actually, I listened quite a bit that day. I just happened to be listening when Jared... Uh, Jerry Nadler, I think his Christian name is Gerald, but goes by the name Jerry, um, got a little hot under the collar about the lies he'd been hearing all day. So he corrected the record. Trump's lawyer stood up and blasted Nadler, and that was when John Roberts famously mm-hmm. intervened and said, okay, now, keep it down back there. We we got to act and he called the admonished. admonished, and of course he called the Senate the most deliberative body in the history of human civilization. And I'm like, well, not under Mitch McConnell, it isn't. Not under Mitch McConnell, it it barely does any work. In fact, the irony of forcing the senators to sit for twelve hours on Tuesday was that there was a revolt against McConnell. I mean, water and milk? Why not milk and honey? Uh. Why not? A morphine drip. <laughs> you know, why don't you come in with two fish and five loaves and feed the masses? Uh, you know, um, there was a revolt against Mitch McConnell. And then, of course, Donald Trump later in the week was complaining about the fact that we're presenting our case on Saturday. It's Death Valley TV on Saturday. Yeah, you know, back in the day, there aren't Saturday morning cartoons on broadcast TV anymore, sadly, I discovered recently. And uh, I thought, oh, Saturday morning's the perfect time for Jay Sekulow to start up. He's starting to look like that cartoon lawyer on The Simpsons. 
And uh, Hong Kong Fooey would be uh, uh, an esteemed part of their... Uh, Ken Starr, of course, spoke today. I caught part of that. I managed to miss the Alan Dershowitz presentation, or perhaps that's on right now. I don't really know. But... Yeah, I think I, I, I've completely missed him. It might be on right now. It's pretty clear, though, that from what I've heard today, in my view anyway, that White House counsel are indeed primarily ignoring the actual charges and misdeeds and are really focused on as they you know define it defending the turf of the office itself as though Donald Trump weren't thrashing well beyond the standard uh, limitations and guidelines of the office on a repeated basis yeah and of course must protect the uh, security of these powers for future presidents you know, when, when Jay Sekulow says uh, we're only going to deal with, quote, facts, no speculation or innu innuendo as we present our case. And I'm like, are you saying that with a straight face? Right. They spent, you know, I, I heard the last couple hours before I walked over here, they spent the last two hours attacking Hunter Biden. And, of course, no person is too... Uh, grand to attack they smeared john Kerry as well okay chris hines was the son of senator john hines and Teresa hines john hines died in a plane crash and ironically that's how william barr became the attorney general huh. thornburg ran for the special election in pennsylvania Maybe you will remember a character named Harris Wofford. He was the man appointed to finish out Heinz's career, and the Republicans wanted to get that seat back. So Thornburg resigned and ran for the seat in Pennsylvania. Chris Heinz was never adopted by John Kerry, to my knowledge, because he was an adult person. He's <laughs> probably in his early 40s um john Kerry and Teresa hines later got married J chris hines is not john Kerry's stepson that's got a a legal uh, implication he's his stepson by marriage that's a big difference and of course the public may be misled about that talk about pedophaging <laughs> pedophaging yes what a brilliant uh, word to be using uh, thanks to John, Chief Justice, for, for bringing that up. <laughs> Enough of this pedophaging. Get well, those you... get those petticoats off the Senate floor and get back to pedophaging. You uh, mentioned Tillerson earlier, and I want to make sure I get to uh, this uh, item quickly. I said it before. I'll say it again. Mike Pompeo is the worst liar. Certainly in this administration. He had a bad and, week. And one of the worst liars I've ever seen on TV. This exchange he had with the NPR reporter, yeah. whose name I don't have in front of me, I regret, but she's... It's, I think it's uh, Mary Louise Kelly. Yes, that's the one. She's, she's got three first names. Yeah, she's uh, you know highly educated, yes, long yes. career as a, a well-respected... Very reputable. Uh, reputable journalist. A Jim Lehrer type. Indeed. Uh, asking hard questions of uh, members of both parties. Well, she was in basis. Iran just a well week Well-traveled, yeah. She was in Iran, and she asked the foreign minister, uh, who, who gave her an interview, 
very directly about all kinds mm-hmm. of things. And he answered the questions for the most part. And when he didn't, she came right back at him. So th- this this whole kerfuffle involving her is outrageous. Well, the, the, the shutting down of the interview is, is not surprising because I didn't agree to talk about that. And the aide says this interview is over. Uh, but it's the pulling of Kelly into the room for the additional chastisement. Yes, admonishment. Where she's, where she's admonished uh, in, with some, you know, coarse language by the Secretary of State. Um, he went into his Donald Trump impersonation. Indeed, and said, get me a blank map with no country names on it and see if you know where the people don't give an F about the Ukraine. Do you even know where it is? And she, well-traveled, points to the map and says, why, it's right here. And then in a letter... Uh, in which he denounces the whole exchange, says, by the way, Bangladesh is not Ukraine. Now, what does that (laughs) refer to? True, the average American probably doesn't know where Bangladesh is. And and maybe even at this late stage of Ukraine's daily, I don't know how many times the word Ukraine gets said every day, uh, but probably there's still some Americans who don't know where it is. But this well-respected journalist knows the difference between where Bangladesh is east of the Indian subcontinent, right. and the Ukraine, right, which is because, near the Crimean. Well, and it's the size of Arizona and New Mexico combined. I looked it up. Yeah, it's, you know, I did a little Ukraine uh, <clears throat> history reading several months ago to get a better understanding of the the recent history of the Ukraine. I did not go back into the <laughs> all of the... Various factions involving Slavs and Belarus and, you know, the Swedes, even uh, the Poles, the Russians, the Mongols. I mean, it's it's had its share of invasions over the years. And the reason is quite obvious. It's got nice, fertile land. Mm-hmm. It's in that uh, Black Sea, uh, Sea of Azov uh alluvial plain so to speak so when there are massive floods it gets uh some nice uh soil uh being created naturally by uh, the good lord uh, which of course is why the ukraine was was uh, a big breadbasket for the soviet union and why the famine in the ukraine in the in the early 20s uh during the civil war after amidst the civil war as it was sort of unwinding, was such a devastating event. Uh, of course, there was another famine uh, in the Ukraine in uh, the 30s, a uh, palpable example of the failure of Joseph Stalin's agricultural reforms. Millions of people died. In fact, one of the m- amazing ironies of American history is that it was Herbert Hoover as an administrator. He was in charge of famine relief for the Ukraine. Um, and he did such a brilliant job under the circumstances that he was actually considered a hero uh, in the Soviet Union. You may find that hard to believe. We're talking about Herbert Hoover, 31st president of the United States, who was president when the Great Depression hit. Um, He was a businessman, by the way. He was the first American president known as a businessman. George W. Bush was the second. Donald Trump is the third. Put that in your pipe.
and smoke it. <laughs> and consider yourself admonished, Marianne Louise Kelly. <laughs> what a pinhead. Um, it's absurd. It's absurd. And the thing was, was because this interview, by the way, happened on Friday afternoon, it, it was um, preempted by a lot of the national public radio programming that day because uh, the House uh, managers were concluding their case. So I actually heard the interview uh, in toto. On Saturday morning, because I wanted to wake up early to hear the uh, presentation by the Trump defense lawyers. Luckily, it only lasted three hours. And I was able, of course, to listen to Bill Monroe for breakfast while simultaneously listening to it on the radio. It's amazing. That's the way to go. Well, it's amazing how my experience as a cab driver always allowed me to listen to a radio, two radios going oh. at the same time. I think Monty Python does some stuff like that. <laughs> and I remember Two Way, Two Way Larry. Two Way Larry. Yeah. Lawrence Welk <laughs> going along with Susie and the Banshees, <laughs> perhaps. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the arguments are incredible. I mean, this argument, by the way, that this is going to nullify the ballots of the American people. Everybody like, seems to have forgotten that Pence would be elevated. He would be elevated. He was on the ticket. That's not overthrowing the ticket. There's no coup. Mike Pence would be worse in so many ways. They might have <laughs> to, like... you know, take him out of the Madame Tussauds wax museum and... Pump a little blood back into him. Um, I think in future dictionaries, the word statuesque <laughs> may apply to Mike Pence. He's the... More bobblehead than <laughs> well, statue. Yeah, he's not... He, his physique is not statuesque, but... Stern look of his approval. His facial expression yeah. is, is more than a little bizarre. Serene... Contemplation. My favorite picture of him, by the way, is when he had his hands on his on his knees. Oh, in the meeting with Schumer and, and Pelosi. And Pelosi, yeah. when Trump tried to set her up for the government shutdown, that of course was all the work of the Republican Party back in back when they controlled both branches of government, and yet investigated not. Investigated absolutely nothing. Um, he became very interested in Ukrainian scandals uh, after Joe Biden announced he was running for president and, of course, knew that he could strong arm uh, Zelensky to some degree. Read the transcripts, he keeps saying. Well, I have. Giuliani's name is mentioned quite a bit. So is Attorney General William Barr. Trump in the, in the transcript is clueless. He thinks that CrowdStrike is is a Ukrainian computer company. It was not. It was an American computer company employed by the DNC after they had been hacked and reported it to the FBI. Republican National Committee was also hacked in 2016, but they never reported it to the FBI. How interesting. And how interesting that there are all these other Fascinating connections between Donald Trump and the Ukraine. 
Trump, of course, in some of these tapes, brags about how many friends he's got in the Ukraine. Well, exactly who are they? Which oligarchs are they? And why in 2016 at the, at the convention, the RNC convention in Cleveland, Ohio, was Ambassador Kislyak at the, at the convention on the, on the floor, mm-hmm. meeting with Jeff Sessions, Michael Flynn, Donald Jr., Jared Kushner, all kinds of people. And then why did Donald Trump water down the policy towards the Ukraine in uh, 2016? It's fascinating to discover that Donald Trump was doing the bidding of Vladimir Putin um, even before he was officially the nominee of the Republican Party and only six or seven days after Carter Page got back from Russia after he gave some speeches and met some intelligence people there. You won't hear that in this complicated chronology, by the way, about this FISA stuff. The FISA mistakes were made in 2017 by the FBI, after Donald Trump became president. It had nothing to do with the campaign. It's remarkable. Well, we've just got a couple of minutes left here on Gray Matters. Yazoo City Calling will be following this program, as it does every week. Uh, don't know if there's quite time to go through all I've got to say on this subject, but I quickly wanted to mention the whole the the head on a pike thing. Oh yeah, which of course CBS reported. Uh, I don't think it's yet been revealed through whom that utterance was made or heard, but Adam Schiff uh, included a reference to it in his uh, final statements on Friday. Uh, I personally, I think it was a good thing that he did that, uh, even though, you know, he carefully prefaced his uh, reference to it with, uh, I don't know if it's true. He said, I don't know if it's true. But it sure seems like it could be, right. is, is kind of the point here, and that it's entirely, in, whether he said it or not, it's entirely in keeping with the character and tone of this president's uh, hostile and uh, vengeful uh, commentaries about people. Get rid of her. Get rid of her. Yeah. Make her go away. Make some bad go- things are gonna. Some things are gonna happen yeah, to yeah. her. These are. Uh, he's making these sorts yeah. of threats uh, against Schiff now. Read the uh, transcript. Read, yeah, um, <laughs> right. But you know, while Schiff was making these uh, references, I don't know if it's true. He said, uh, and then apparently in response to somebody from the floor uh, saying it's not true, uh, he included, "I hope it's not true." You know, but I'm going to mention it anyway because it so neatly underscores the uh, autocratic, despotic, monarchical tendencies of this person. Not of the office of the presidency itself, which rightfully enjoys certain prescribed powers. But this individual person is well described by that tone. Your head will be on a pike. If you vote against this president and anybody who feigns outrage over, oh, it was really inappropriate for Adam Schiff to say that. I can't believe he said that. It's it's not even been substantiated uh, to my satisfaction. As if any of the stuff today has been substantiated. Right. How dare people get their knickers in a twist over Adam Schiff's mention of, oh, I'm hearing that it's been reported that a Trump associate said blah, blah, blah. When Trump himself has said uh, oh, there were very fine people at that Nazi rally. John McCain, uh, a longtime prisoner of war and a highly respected senator with whom 
I disagree, but you've got to respect his status as a veteran, as a POW. He's a loser. He's a loser. How come it's so shocking and offensive for Adam Schiff to make this reference when you never really stood up to Donald Trump and all of his egregious insults against everybody? Everybody.